This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Most surprising quarterbacks, good and bad, coming up with Derek Klassen in a second. And then Eric Eager joins us to get very, very nerdy. We got nerdy on the whole episode. It was a was this nerd Fridays, football nerd Fridays. Uh, Eric Eager is going to give us the stats we need to know about defenses in the NFL in 2023, which I find fascinating because the pendulum has swung so much. We actually get into a little bit of that with Derek, too, like why quarterbacks are not as good as they used to be league-wide. And I think this is a blip on the radar. I think, obviously, quarterbacks have an advantage over defenses and have for the past 12 years. Um, and that will only increase as the decades go on. Um, but this is certainly a downturn. And we get into the reasons in, in both segments. I found it fascinating. Um, I want to talk quickly because I didn't get to because of the way the episodes uh, were scheduled this week. I did not talk about Deshaun Watson and his season-ending injury. Um, when we had our last episode, the, the Ken Dorsey news had just broken, so that was my monologue going into the Dan Olowski episode. Um, I don't think this tangibly changes how I feel about the Cleveland Browns. What have I said for a month? They're going to make the playoffs and have the potential to steal a playoff game, one, not two, based on the strength of their defense. Their defense is allowing scores on 22% of drives significantly less than anybody else in the NFL. They're allowing, I believe, I believe this season they've allowed 37 fewer first downs than anybody else in football. And everybody, I believe everybody's played nine games, um, or at least other teams have played nine games. The Cowboys are second, by the way. There's a surprise. Um, but they're a dominant defense that could, I mean, we saw that pick six against Baltimore. Like that, that's the kind of thing they can do in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. It's troubling from a roster standpoint that that DTR and BJ Walker have not been particularly good. Uh, but Deshaun Watson has not been particularly good. I was frankly a little bit stunned at some of the comments I saw about how well Watson was playing based off of the last game. Um, because I understand he went 14 to 14 to end the game, but he also went one for 10 in the first quarter. So even in the game where he was playing basically one of his high watermarks, he was still wildly inconsistent to start the game, um, playing better, but not good. I guess that's the way I would put that. Um, even if you wanted to put, I just saw people say his last three games, his last four games, yards per attempt was still, I think a little below average on the season, on the season. Um, his yards per attempt is lower than Desmond Ritter, Jimmy Garoppolo, Gardner Minshew. Um, it has not been a very good season. And so I don't mean this to say anything other than I woke up on Tuesday thinking, or Wednesday thinking that the, the Browns were a playoff team and a potential season ruiner for some unsuspecting two or three seed. And I processed the news in the afternoon feeling the exact same way. Um, I don't think that I don't think I, I saw some people say if Deshaun Watson kept getting better, they could have been a Super Bowl team or they could have rode that defense to to the AFC title game. I I, I don't believe that kind of improvement was coming this year. Um, and so I still think extremely highly of the Browns roster. Uh, I would probably criticize Andrew Barry on not keeping or retrading for Josh Dobbs. Um, he's certainly better than P.J. Walker. And especially when you understand, especially as the season went on. Deshaun Watson was not consistently healthy. Um, he had a bunch of different ailments. And so and there was some, some mystery around that. And so, yeah, I would criticize him for that. But on the other hand, Andrew Barry built a defense that's going to get that team to the playoffs. I thought a lot of people completely swinging the pendulum the other way and saying they're going to lose out, look at the schedule, all that stuff. Man, look at the teams they're playing schedule because they've got the Browns on there. And the Browns have some badasses on defense. And one of maybe one of the best players, excuse me, maybe the best player in football, Miles Garrett. That's a team I do not want to play in December and January. So they are still a playoff team to me. They were never more than a season ruiner for one unlucky team. Um, this does not change their trajectory significantly, in my opinion. All right, here's Derek. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code Omaha full and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only. 
must wager with eligible promo code bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas? Affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino? Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Derek Klassen's here. He worked for the 33rd team and Bleacher Report. He ranks quarterbacks for a living. What a year for this, Derek Klassen. Um, I'm, I'm the quarterback's position has never been more interesting. I got a bunch of emails this week asking if the Bills should trade Josh Allen for both Bears picks or Drake May or whatever it is. Just generally, just sum up what this year has been for the quarterback position. I know that's a huge question, but like when you think quarterbacks in 2023, you think what, Derek? Uh, I think a lot of bad ones. Like, like I get to, <laughs> so I rank them every week, right? And the, and the way we do it is I rank all 32. Who is going to be the projected starters for that week? Every week I get to like 17 and I'm like, Derek Carr? And then you get past that. It's like, <laughs> who cares? Like all of these guys, right. you're getting into like the, the Jordan Loves and the Sam Howells. And it's yeah. like, these guys are okay, but I would have thought we would have had a little bit more coming into the season. And then on top of that, I mean, even a lot of the top guys are not playing as well as you thought. So it's just of all the years for me to start ranking quarterbacks. <laughs> Careful on Sam Howell's slander. I came out against Sam Howell's long-term solution a couple weeks ago, and I, I I heard from some people. They're in. They're all in on Sam Howell in the DMV. I mean, they probably should be because he's played them out of a top pick anyway. <laughs> and he's. <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's. I I know this is a this is a hard question to answer, but I've gotten some people asking me on shows or whatever. Like, why are there so many bad quarterbacks? And I think you can kind of like Malcolm Gladwell this and come up with a couple of different theories. I tend to think it's just bad luck. I think if there's anything, I think you probably could make a case that the sort of the lack of effort into developing backup quarterbacks can come up to bite franchises sometimes. But even if you develop a backup quarterback, the best you're going to do is flip him for a third round pick. Now um, it'd be really hard to get like a, a Matt Castle situation from a couple of years ago where you lose a guy, he, he plays full season, he plays great. You trade him for a first round pick. This doesn't happen very often. Um, so I don't think the NFL is amazing at developing young quarterbacks, but I guess the question is why are there so many bad quarterbacks this year? I mean, I think it's like eight different things. I mean, one, I mean, you get to the yeah. point of like, the practice time since the 2011 CBA, I think kind of goes into your point of like, yes. it's just harder to get these guys. Re I mean, there's only so many reps that go around in practice. And if there's only so many reps, you're giving them to the guy who's going to play. Um, and, and so yep. that I think is one of the big factors. Another thing is, I mean, a lot of the top guys that had been there six or so years ago, just aren't playing anymore. Like a, a lot of guys that were veteran staples, like Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, um, Tom Brady just left. Like Aaron Rodgers is not uh, obviously playing this year. Um, you just have a lot of guys who were very well, good. What happened? <laughs> well, he played for about three plays you know? and then. <laughs> he's coming back. Yeah, he said he's coming back. It's just a little, it's a small injury. We'll, we'll see if Zach Wilson so can keep He's on short-term pump. <laughs> Um, so I, I think you have all that. And then I think the last thing too, that kind of goes underrated when we talk about this, a lot of guys, especially in the last, I would say seven, eight years, these guys just aren't playing as much in college generally, because I think especially yes. when you go back like 20 years ago, a lot of guys that were coming out were like guys that got to their senior year. They'd played a very long time. You weren't getting as much of these one and dones, maybe two years and done, uh, under class type of deal. Now, almost every guy that comes out and is going to be a top 
first round pick is going to be a guy who played one or two years is a redshirt sophomore or a junior and that's that so you're just getting a lot of guys who come in right away don't have as many reps and if you don't have like the perfect life support system for them it can fall apart very very fast Forgive me for not knowing the exact number because I'm a bad host, but Bill Parcells used to have his commandments of taking quarterbacks. And it was some he, he said he should have thrown blank uh, amount of passes in college. And it was some absurd number that nobody reaches anymore, like Jordan Travis of Florida State, because he's in his 11th year uh, and he transferred from Louisville. Somebody told me the other day that Emory Williams, the starter at Miami, was in middle school when Jordan Travis first played against Miami as a Florida State quarterback. And by the way, he didn't even start at, at, at Florida State, he started at Louisville. Um, but like, it, it, there's a few and far between. Most NFL type of guys are two and three years. So the Bill Parcells commandment, if he needs to throw whatever it is, 800 times, no longer applicable. You just can't see it. Um, and then I'd say like, we were spoiled by that golden generation of quarterbacks. I call them the forever quarterbacks where, and they were perfect because they came into the league in 02, I mean, in Brady's case, obviously 2000, but like 02, 03, 04, 05, they get all of the old school training camps. So they're getting two a days when they're young and they're getting all of these reps when they're fresh enough to do it. They're not getting tired. Then midway through their career, everything changes and they don't get hit anymore. And so they got to play until they were 40. So they got the old school football education that never happens anymore. And then in the back half of their career, they were put in bubble wrap. Like that was a moment in time. First of all, they all made like $400 million. But, and two of them, by the way, run this, run this company that this podcast is on. Um, but like they had not only great talent, but, but great timing. I never even put two and two together there. That, 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 that generation of quarterback got to do all of the trading and, and old stuff and get a bunch more reps and all that stuff. And then also kind of walk into the longevity of, you know, not being hit as much. I, I actually, I never... It sounds so obvious now that you say it, but I hadn't put two and two together. And so you get that on top of, I mean, guys that were just genuinely Hall of Fame talents, like like Philip Rivers, uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I mean, all the other guys we mentioned, like Manning, Brady, Breeze, all that sort of stuff. I mean, you add that on top of, like you said, the longevity thing. And now they're just, I mean, they're just too old to play at this point. So like you said, you get all of those guys who are these forever quarterbacks. I mean, forever doesn't actually last forever. And, and we're kind of there at the point where those guys are just gone. All right, we're going to do surprising quarterbacks. We're going to do four, and we're going to do two in each direction as someone who watches it every single week. And it's funny because I think narrative and how they perform throw to throw have never been more disconnected. I'll give you a great example. Josh Allen throwing interceptions all over the place. I think people have now confused that stat. It's been going around now about how he's been he, – he's led the NFL in interceptions since 2018, since 2019, since 2020. There's now – I think I've, I've seen sort of some bottom feeders suggest that that means that he's led the NFL in interceptions every single year. He's actually never led the NFL in interceptions. This is the first time he's ever done it. Um, and his EPA per play is up on a bunch of years. So, like, on a per-pass basis, it's a little bit different. I saw a stat the other day, not to throw this uh, – not to just throw you know, gasoline on the fire here – Packers EPA per play is up from last year. Just take that, take that as you, as you may. Um, but uh, you know, there's just, it, the narrative has become disconnected for a lot of these guys. Um, we will start here. Your most surprising quarterback in a good direction, Derek Klassiness. Who? I mean, I, I think I got to start with CJ Stroud. Like it, it's surprising in that he's just in that he's a rookie. Like my assessment of, of CJ Stroud coming out of college, the way that he's playing right now, I thought he could get there. By like year three, if everything really turned out for him, um, you know, he got all the, you know, right coaching, right staff, all that sort of stuff. I thought maybe by year three, he'd get there because you think about the like, he is showing a lot of creativity now, but in college, that wasn't necessarily something he did all the time, except towards the end of right. his final season. And so that to me was like, it might take a little bit of time for him to like fully bloom in that aspect in the NFL. And then you also just think about guys who come from this offense, typically it takes them a little bit of time to onboard into the NFL if they ever really get there at all. I mean, I think we've seen all the other past Ohio state quarterbacks are still kind of slow on the trigger in the way that they play. Um, and we're from the moment they got into the league and have been since then. Um, that just, all of that was not the case with Stroud. That dude came in and he's literally playing as fast as any quarterback in the league. Um, like when they run quick game, he, he's on it. Like literally as soon as his back foot hits, He's like bringing his arm up to yeah. throw. It's it's unbelievable timing. It's the stuff you saw from Brady, from Breeze, from like yep. peak 
Aaron Rodgers. Like he's doing all of that stuff. And then, dude, he's just letting it rip down the field more than I've ever seen like a rookie quarterback. Like we've seen rookie yes. quarterbacks throw down the field a lot in a different way. Like Andrew Luck did this and Josh Allen did this where they're just like, screw it. James Winston. Yeah, James, James Winston. Winston like they're just chucking <laughs> it, but it's not like as calculated and like within the rhythm of, 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 you know, what they should be doing. It's just like, this is how I play. Yeah. So I'm going to do it. With Stroud, it's just like these perfectly calculated shots down the field, throwing deep corners into the honey hole, cover two, throwing post routes, um, you know, throwing seam routes that are contested. Like he's just, I compared him. I, I when I when he came out of college, I said he could be Dak Prescott if everything turns out right. He's he's Dak Prescott right now, and we're ten games in. Whoa! Wow. So there's a couple things about it. Number one, I did my monologue on this on Sunday night. We didn't see Mahomes as a rookie. So we have no data point. And I've talked to people about this in Kansas City, and they basically said, listen, it would have been an exaggerated in both both ways version of what he was in his second year. He would have made a lot more mistakes. But he was also like, you think he takes chances now. You should have seen him <laughs> in practice his rookie year when he was just testing his limits and trying to figure out what was going on. So it would have been a wild version of him in either direction. And I think that because of that, I think that we think that he was some finished product when he got on the field um, his rookie year, his second year, and that just wasn't the case. When I went through in my head trying to find a more impressive rookie than C.J. Stroud, I was really, really struggling. Because if you look at yards per attempt uh, for rookies who started at least eight games, it's Ben Roethlisberger, who came into a finished product in Pittsburgh, um, didn't even know if he was going to play his rookie year, ended up obviously uh believe going 15 and one that year um Dak Prescott who inherited a team that was built for Tony Romo um it wasn't a, a roster like Houston it wasn't a first year coach and it wasn't a guy who was airing out passes like this he's driving the ball down the field in a league where you're supposed to baby rookie quarterbacks until you get until the coach and everybody gets another extension like that's literally the operating procedure now is let's just not know about our rookie quarterbacks so that way we, we can we can buy ourselves more time i feel like that is the status quo in a lot of buildings um this feels to me like the most impressive rookie quarterback i've seen i mean I, again i hesitate to say ever but uh, who have I seen better 10, 10 games into their career? I mean, it's the volume, right? Because if you look at efficiency, there yeah. are a couple other guys who are like in that tier. Like you mentioned, like Dak Prescott was an incredibly efficient rookie quarterback. But like the team was kind of built for him to really just be a yeah. really good caretaker. And he was that. Like the only like to me, it's that the, the team is so clearly running through Stroud and they're putting the weight of the world yeah. on his shoulders, which is just not something you ever see with rookie quarterbacks. The only two and no, are, no number one receiver. No, right. And one, no one true receiver, like this guy you can just feed. Like Nico Collins is good, but he's not. It, it's not like he has A.J. Brown or something like that. And like to me, the only other rookie seasons that really come to mind in the sense where like they got a ton of volume and they were clearly the driving force for the team being very, very good are like rookie Andrew Luck and rookie Cam Newton. And those guys were not quite as efficient, but I mean, Luck dragged a team that was absolutely horrendous in, in the post Peyton Manning era. Like I think to the playoffs immediately, like that was, he did a lot as a rookie. And then Cam, it's obviously very different from Stroud because he wasn't throwing as much, but Cam did feel like a force like you, you saw him play and you go like oh this guy is a lot different than other rookie quarterbacks yeah. but I mean Stroud is right up there with any of those guys and like I said the, the the volume of passing that he's doing it at as aggressive as he's doing it they're just yeah there's not many rookies ever that have done something like this I, I would also say and nobody's a bigger Cam Newton fan than I am except maybe like Stephen Ruiz but from a non-Panther non-Auburn department I'm a huge Cam Newton fan but Part of his success, especially in the first month of his career, was that there'd never been a player like him. So linebackers right. were just like, what do I do? And so that opened up so many passing lanes, that kind of stuff. CJ Stroud is just driving the ball down the field. Like t defenses should know how to defend that, and they can't because he's throwing these balls perfectly. And so that's that's a difference in, in, in my mind. Um, all right, we'll move on. Number one, let's actually go number two, most disappointing quarterback, surprisingly. Number two, most disappointing. Um... I'm trying to think of like how I want to frame who's who's the most disappointing. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll go with I'll go with um I'll go with this one. Um, even though he's the worst player of the two, I'm going to mention Mac Jones. Like, I thought oh it was going to be better. Um, and the thing is, I didn't think Mac Jones was going to be great this year. I thought his rookie year was kind of overrated. Like people, I think were too easy to to crown this guy who 
I mean, he's like a really good caretaker and he plays well within the system and he's really accurate, but he did never looked like a guy who had like the physical tools to be a top 10 perennial quarterback and all that stuff. But then obviously 2022 happens. He gets stuck with Matt Patricia and Joe judge calling plays. And I think anyone with, with half a brain could look at that situation and be like, that's just not a good spot for any second year quarterback. Really probably most veteran quarterbacks, I think would not have fared well in the situation that they had. And so I thought with Bill O'Brien coming into the, Uh, into the fold this year I thought they were going to be a little bit cleaner in terms of pass protection I thought they were going to have some better answers versus the blitz and I thought the overall function of the offense was going to be better I thought Mac Jones was going to look a little bit more confident I thought he was going to bring back some of the consistency he had as a rookie that just hasn't happened and I don't even think it's necessarily because the Bill O'Brien stuff hasn't come true I think it's just you look at this roster and it's like where's the speed where is the the margin for error there's none of it like all they can do is run a lot of these really short routes with guys who can't really separate and don't have all that much yards after create the yards after catch type of stuff so you end up in a spot where the offense can't create any explosives through scheme or with yards after the catch and then you have a quarterback who mac jones is a really good caretaker but he doesn't have any of the tools to go create outside the pocket just like jam stuff into a keyhole um to, to make these tight throws fit so it's just like the whole operation just never ended up working. Whereas I thought he could get back to rookie year Mac and he's just not been that. So I agree. I thought it would be better than it was last year. I didn't think the bottom was going to fall out. The question is, if you're a, a talent evaluator, is Mac Jones broken? Like, would you take a flyer on Mac Jones? I mean, I would, I would want him in the building. Like it wouldn't be like, I would take him next year and immediately insert him as my starter. It would be like, you, you have him on the, on the, the roster as a backup and see what happens. But like, I think he is kind of broken in the sense of like, you look at what he was doing his rookie year and you could tell he was playing on time. So consistently, he was incredibly accurate. He was very, very willing to make tough throws, especially over the middle of the field, especially when they did um, a lot of their play action RPO type stuff. Like he, he can be an aggressive passer. You look at what has happened, especially starting last year and then going into this year it just feels like he has no faith in the offensive line around him. And I think that's exacerbated an issue he's always had in that he's kind of a guy who fades away from pressure a little bit. He doesn't really want to step up Mm -hmm. in the pocket and and do all that type of stuff. But as a rookie, because the offense was working, he kind of did it enough that it it all made the offense work together. The past Mm -hmm. two years with how bad the pass protection plans have been and how bad the offensive line has been, I feel like that's all fallen away. And it's kind of had this ripple effect into the rest of his game where his footwork is getting a little bit like quicker and more disjointed because he's just trying to get the ball out and he doesn't want to get hit um and i think that's leading to accuracy issues some of his decision making so i I think he's a little bit broken and it's it's probably a case where it's going to take a little bit of of care with the right coaching staff to get him back to where he needs to be all right so i'm caleb williams and i'm looking at the top of the draft here and you have chicago you have the giants you have new england i believe Arizona still picking second, according to the NFL. I think people thought that that win knocked them out. And, and the NFL says it didn't. They're still picking two. But where would I want to go if I'm Caleb Williams? Because I'm looking at this New England thing and I'm saying, do I really want to go into the, even though it would be sacrilegious to say that before this year or for two years ago, certainly. I, I, I don't want any part of Bill Belichick with a young quarterback. <laughs> I don't think I do. And all, by the way, all these situations are bad. All the yeah. situations are bad. Like you want to go for the damn, you want to play for the damn Bears? Yeah, they treat young quarterbacks well. So I guess the so so if if I'm Caleb Williams and I'm looking at this the top of this draft, I want to go where Derek Lawson. I mean, it would be Arizona, but the more I look at what Arizona's got going on, I don't think they're going to yeah. take a quarterback. I think Kyler Murray, if he can yeah. play like the way he played this past weekend, they're just gonna they're gonna roll with him. They're gonna take Marvin Harrison and be and be real happy. I mean, I think of this group, like, oh, my God. It feels weird to say that the Bears might be the best here. Oh, but no. Like, but the, but, well, the bear, but also the Bears are going to be able to – you're going to be able to pair him with another yes. high skill guy or a, or a tackle. So, so you either get a Brock Bowers or you get the or get a Joe Alt or the young man from Penn State, something like that. So that's part of it. I think the other part of it is – the Giants offensive line is horrid bad. Like they are really, really, really terrible. I think that would be a really bad spot for Caleb Williams in particular. And then I think that's kind of true of New England too. Like their offensive line is really, really not good. And I think 
when you pair that with their skill position group where they have no speed. And I think Caleb Williams is going to be a guy because he's so creative and does so much down the field outside of the pocket. You need somebody who can like help him create. They have none of that. At least the bears have DJ Moore, man. At least Darnell Wright looks like a good right tackle. At least they can get another guy in the building. So it's still, it feels really weird to say that the bears would be the best spot. But I mean, when you're comparing to these other options, that's kind of where I feel. The league is cooked if the Bears are the best <laughs> option. Um, all right. Uh, number two, surprisingly good quarterback. It's it's going to sound weird because the numbers have not been there, but Matthew Stafford, I I, I did not Ooh. think he was going to have all this in him. Like, obviously, we. so here's, I think, what happened. And this happened. This was my experience with Matthew Stafford last year. Obviously, he has, I think it was the opener against the Bills, where he just doesn't, yeah. he just doesn't look the same. It looks like his arm has a little right. bit less in, in the tank than it used to. He just kind of didn't look comfortable, didn't look great. The offensive line was a nightmare, and he and, and literally the discourse after that game was, well, Stafford's cooked, but at least yes. they won the Super Bowl, so it's fine. They gave him a bunch of money. They pay, pay him for past performance, but this whole thing is cooked. Yes, exactly. And then like they kept losing games, and so by like week seven, yeah. everyone, including myself, was like, I'm checked out, not watching the Rams. Don't need to do that. When yeah. I went back and charted him over the summer because. I charted what are you an LA resident not watching the Rams <laughs> and I went back and charted him and I was like wait a minute he's still kind of like he's still kind of good he's still kind of got it it's just the offense was so bad I think this offseason they got healthier on the offensive line and that it it's still not good but it got better and I think that has helped a little bit yeah. and then obviously Puka Nakua coming into the building was kind of an unforeseen you know, little little boost to the offense. And then I think Tutu Atwell kind of took a step forward. So all these things kind of came together to not make the Rams offense good around him, but get it to a level where it could be functional. And then Stafford just kind of unleashes and, and does the rest to elevate everybody. I mean, some of the throws that he makes past 10 yards, it, it's literally like him, Allen, and Mahomes. And, and they're the only ones doing it. Like he still has that kind of arm talent, that kind of touch, that kind of aggression aggression might even be a generous word for it. I think sometimes it's yeah. just borderline reckless, but when you have the arm to get away with it, you do it. And then really, I think in terms of like guys who can create within the pocket, whether that's changing arm angles, making sudden little movements, knowing exactly what they can get away with in terms of space, there really aren't guys that are better than Stafford. Like he makes that offensive line work so much better than it should. So he's just a guy who, the fact that the that the fact that we're even talking about the Rams offense in any capacity this year speaks yeah. to, to to the level that Stafford is playing at. Like he's just he's making them so so much better than they should be. So cap wise, he's obviously coming back next season. The eighty six million dollars in dead cap. The year after is thirty seven million, and I, I'm of the belief usually that especially with these dead cap numbers. Like I think the Falcons took like a $43 million cap. It went back from Matt Ryan when he retired. I forget they didn't have to get, give him a post to Sean uh, belly flop contract when they, when they, they had to do a make good there. Um, and so, and then they had to trade him. Um, but I, I guess the, the like, so the, he's under contract basically from 2024 to 2025, unless they want to take a huge dead cap charge. I think kind of think that he's going to be the best option for that. Like this is, this team is probably as long as the health persists, which again, is always a question with Matthew Stafford. Um, the Rams are kind of going to be fine through the rest of this contract with him. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's really just health. I mean, that was kind of the concern coming into this yeah. year. It's like, ah, he didn't look very healthy last year. Can he, can he maintain it? And I think he, I mean, obviously he's been out the past couple of weeks with a thumb thing, but that's not as, it's not like he tore his ACL or something. So I do think if he can stay healthy, he still has enough. I, I think I, th I think he still has most of his arm strength. So it's not like he's going to suddenly hit the wall next year, I don't think. Like with Matt Ryan, you could see the arm strength kind of falling off. And then it obviously hit that point in, in Indianapolis where it just completely snapped. I don't think we're close to there with Stafford. So he still has, I think, probably at mm -hmm. least the remainder of this contract with his arm. So it really just comes down to like how many games can you get him on the field? If I were the Rams, I would still think about taking a quarterback, not in the first round, obviously, but maybe at some point in day two and just just to have the guy there. And, and you know, Stafford is going to miss games inevitably. So you can get this guy some reps. But I think for the remainder of the contract, he, he's, he's going to be their best option to be the guy because he's still, to me, playing at a top 10 quarterback level. All right, drum roll, please. Your most surprisingly disappointing quarterback of 2023 so far. I want to be very clear that this is not his fault, and it's really not him being disappointing. Oh. It's the team. 
it's Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. Like this offense oh. is not what it was supposed to be. Um, and it feels like I'm kind of beating a dead horse because a lot of other people have, have said something similar to this, but I think a lot of it just comes down to the play calling. Um, obviously Doug Peterson kind of took his hands, took his hands off the wheel and, and, and gave things over to press Taylor. And I think we saw last year when Doug was calling the offense, they were awesome. I, I mean, they were hitting all the right buttons. They were doing all the right things. Um, it seemed like they really understood how to get the most out of their personnel, whether that be really spamming Evan Ingram on a lot of the underneath like yak type routes, getting Christian Kirk moving down the field, um, you know, obviously from the slot, even getting run out of like Jamal Agnew, which was crazy, which they don't need to be doing anymore, which is part of the problem. Um, they're giving they're, I think they're giving him a, a too many touches, um, but they even got like Zay Jones kind of working last year. It seemed like they really knew what the offense was supposed to be and they found good ways to get shot plays. That's just not been the case this year. Like I think the offensive line has gotten a lot worse. Um, obviously, Juwan Taylor leaves, and that and that's been a problem. But the interior is just not good at all right now. And I think it, it's kind of – I think the biggest issue with the offensive line is Trevor can make an okay offensive line look fantastic because he's one of the best guys in the league to me at preempting pressure and understanding how to move around it when it does get there. But they're like a bottom six offensive line right now. And at a certain point – he can't really overcome that. And I think that's really, really given the offense a lot of issues. So they, to me, just feel like an offense that's gotten really constipated really fast in a way that's just, it's not going to work out for them. I think they're in a tough spot. In a vacuum, what does Trevor Lawrence need from a scheme standpoint? I mean, they need to be able to, to throw down the field more. The problem is just like, like I right. mentioned, they can't really do that because really for two right. reasons. One, the offensive line. I mean, it's just so bad. Like, you can't even do it from the sense of like just get into drop back and, and throw down the field and let him do all the stuff that he wants to do because the offensive line can't hold up. But it's even hard for them to get into the like run, run, play action style because the offensive line can't run the ball either. Like they're not very good at that. They're not efficient and they're not explosive. So they kind of end up in this spot where it's really hard for them to protect and unleash the ball down the field no matter what they do. And then I think the other issue is like Calvin Ridley, they brought him in to be an X. And I think he can be. And I think at times he was in Atlanta. He's just not really fully that guy right now. I think you see, especially against press, he's had really terrible, really terrible production. I, I don't remember exactly what the stat is, but I know like uh, according to next gen stats, he's one of the he most heavily pressed guys in the league. And he's really not good when he does get pressed. So yeah. I think from a schematic standpoint, I would like to see them get him moving, get him in some some bunches, some stacks, stuff like that. The issue is just like, who else do you play outside if you're doing stuff like that with him? Because, I mean, at that point, you're left with like Jamal Agnew or you're putting Christian Kirk out outside, which you don't want to do either because he's obviously more good from the slot. So I think they're just in a really weird spot from a personnel standpoint that that kind of just leaves them in a tough spot overall. Quickly, salvageable? Easily salvageable? Uh, the thing I will say is... <laughs> if Doug Peterson can take a little bit more control, I think yeah. it could be salvageable. And I think, you know, we, we even saw this last year where the more the Jaguars played, it seemed like the more they figured themselves out and they really hit a stride over the second half of the season. Maybe that can happen again. But I, you wouldn't be able to, to guess it or project it based off of the things that they've done to this point this year. All right, Derek Klassen, thank you so much, buddy. Read him at 33rd team and Bleacher Report. This time, Jets fans will not come after you like they did when you were on my show last fall for daring to say Zach Wilson was bad. I, I mean, I, I took the win on that one. So pretty, pretty yep, low. You sure did. All right. See you, buddy. See ya. One. All right. More with Eric Eager after this. All right. Eric Eager now. He is VP at Sumer Sports, Formula Pro Football Focus, Kansas City uh, aficionado, but Atlanta resident. He lives in an area that Josh Dobbs is from, and no one Not. no one cared about Alpharetta, Georgia <laughs> until just recently. And now uh, it is home to the most famous person in America, Eric Eager. It's uh, it's so much fun. Uh, this season has flown by so far, and uh, it was really fun when uh, when you messaged me and said, hey, I need some stats. It, it, it's always fun to like go back and look at kind of how the season has transpired and see if there's anything hidden in the data, and, and it's uh, – yeah, there's a treasure trove out there of reasons why the, the league is different this year than most years. So that's what we're going to focus on, obviously. Um, what defenses are doing to offenses, where that's showing up, because 
I think especially you tweeted something this week that I found fascinating. It was about Josh Allen and, and the adjustments teams have made. And Josh was on the show a couple weeks ago talking about that. Um, but what, what you said was interesting was all of these defenses sold out basically to limit explosives. Um, hell, the Chargers hired a head coach to limit explosives, and that didn't even work. Um, but it is working now uh, from, from, a, from not, not in, not in LA, but uh, a bunch of other places. It is working now, but Mahomes, who is the reason they started to to limit explosives, has pretty much figured out how to do it. Now, it's not the same. There was a stat the other day from Shokapadia that, that Mahomes has not played one of his 50 best starts by EPA this year, um, but they're generally figuring it out, even with a depleted wide receiver core, and they're winning games, and they're probably going to win the AFC, if I had to, to guess right now. Um, on the flip side, everybody else is miserable. Josh Allen is miserable. Joe Burrow is miserable because of the the, the ceiling that these defenses have put on um, explosives and, and basically have taken away the deep ball in a lot of places. Um, great example of this is Mike McDonald, who is limited, the, the Ravens DC, who's limited Burrow to, I think, 215 yards uh, over the past four games that they faced each other, uh, takes away all vertical routes and basically forces Burrow to be boring, which is a hard thing to do if you're Burrow, if you're Josh Allen, if you're any of these guys who want to go deep. Um, so let's start here. The number one number that stands out to you when you think about this sort of defensive pendulum swing is what, Eric Eager? I think it's the rate at which we're seeing basically even coverages or even e their teams are showing even coverages. So when you look back, let's say 2018, which if you think about league-wide scoring, take out the pandemic year, 2018 is sort of the the pinnacle. Uh, uh, you know, Mullins' yeah. first year, Josh Allen's rookie year, you, you still see the Rivers, Roethlisberger, Breeze's, you know, Rodgers, Brady, Brady, all still in the league. In 2018, teams showed middle of the field open, pre-snap, 38% of the time. 2023, it's 55% of the time. So you're seeing the show. And, and in 18, what's really funny is that teams played middle of the field open 33% of the time, so they didn't really like come off of it that much. Teams played middle of the field open 44% of the time. So they are like showing and then and, and, and splitting off from that. So middle of the field open is two safeties. Exactly. Like the, two safeties and middle of the field close is one safety. So if you're at home and you're trying to figure it out, like middle of the field open means the middle of the <laughs> field is literally open because the two defensive backs back there are playing closer to the sideline in the back there. Yeah, exactly. And and I think of them as like even and odd coverages for like that reason. So right. like cover one is one safety deep. Cover three is, you know, basically three three deep and the the middle safety is kind of like that Earl Thomas player in the in the Seattle. And then, you know, e even coverages are like quarters and six and and two being the kind of specific one. Now we've had the league, you know, back, you know, when we were growing up, you know, Tampa Bay, you know, with the Monty Kiffin, Tampa two, Indianapolis, the same thing. And what really killed those defenses and kept them from being sort of the dominant defense forever was in that decade, we saw the the growth of like the Heath Millers, the Antonio Gates, the Tony Gonzalez, the Jason Witten. There was like a dozen all the way to like 15 to 20 tight ends who would probably be top eight players in the position this year. And that's one of the reasons why you haven't seen offenses overcome this is because there aren't that many tight ends that are different difference right. makers in the NFL. So teams have hung with this. Um, but it, it's caused another like sort of evolution. And this is kind of like where if you're going to ask like where are and, and that and those numbers are just first and second down. If you're looking at, you know, what are what are teams doing in response to this? And this sort of dovetails to an article I wrote in 2020, which is about interior linemen, where, you know, the one of the reasons why you see teams now drafting Jordan Davis and to a lesser extent, guys like Travis right. Jones and Jalen is is if they can stop the run with with six defenders or fewer in the box, then you can run these shell coverages without a worry of what you're giving up. And you see this, you know, sort of um, 2018, well, 2017, let's go with like to the nadir here, about 41% of early down plays had six or fewer men in the box. This year is a high watermark at 49%. So about half, half of downs are playing six men in the box. And what's really interesting, and I wrote about this at Sumer Sports, uh, last week is rushing efficiency went up as a function of that last year. You saw like yes. pretty, you know, you saw all kinds of think pieces about the running game is coming back and 
should we, you know, should we pay Josh Jacobs, and Saquon Barkley, and Tony Pollard, and all the guys up for free agency? And this year, efficiency running the football out of into into light boxes has cratered. Uh, running in any kind of box, seven man boxes has cratered even more. But six man boxes specifically, teams are not able to take advantage of that. And I think it's like when you look across the league, investments not only with draft capital but real dollars. In interior defensive linemen, right? Jason Fitzgerald had the article where it said, "You are getting, you have more premium players at interior defensive linemen getting paid than edge players getting paid." To me, the teams have seen that even if the guy isn't a plus pass rusher, he affects the passing game positively by forcing third and seven when historically you were forcing third and four. It's fascinating. Um, I think you look at the the Bengals are a great example because I went there in, in in August and I'm talking to them about how they sort of not figured out the too high looks and the limiting explosives, but they were able to start winning games. And the answer was taking the easy pass and, and taking what was in front of you. But every time they told me about a play where that worked, it was Hayden Hurst. It was Tyler Boyd checked down. It was uh, Samaji P. Ryan. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, this is a team with with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase is supposed to be open in every play. And it was these guys who who seem to, if you're just ranking the players, you know, from a fantasy football perspective, seem to not matter. Um, and this year that's changed a little bit. I think Jamar Chase had over 30% of the yards from scrimmage for the first eight weeks of the year just because Joe Burrow wasn't himself. Um, but we're just seeing a different brand of football. And I completely agree with you. If we had more Gronks and Tony Gonzalez's, this is a totally different league. But for whatever reason, there's a dearth of that. Yeah, for sure. And and running back play has been down. When you look at like Tony yes. Pollard and you look at, you know, Josh Jacobs, men that were like fantastically efficient last year have just cratered. And some of that it's offensive line play, and some of that is is like I think physicality on their part. The other part, and I this is like I think the gold nugget that I found yesterday, which is like when you look at RPO rates across the league, they're basically the same the last three years: eleven percent, eleven point five percent, twelve point three percent. Twenty twenty three is twelve point three percent. The percentage of RPOs that have been pulled out and become passes: twenty twenty one thirty six percent, last year thirty three percent. This year, 26%, so over 10 percentage point drop in the number of RPOs that become pass plays. And, and, the, and the interesting part of that is RPOs have this weird what's called Simpsons paradox to them, which means historically, if you just slice by run plays, running with an RPO is more efficient than running without one. Uh-huh. And pass plays, passing with an RPO is more efficient than passing without right. one. That actually changed last year, but let's ignore that for a second. But RPO planes are less efficient than non-RPO plays. And that's because the defenses have been just say, sort of saying, forget you, we're not moving on this fake. Right. You want to throw it backside, the linebacker's going to be standing there, so you better take the run play. And so RPOs historically have been this crutch. The league has been great quarterbacks, mediocre quarterbacks boomed by things like RPOs. And now the RPO, the defenses are just like, look, we're going to pick our poison here and give it how bad the quarterbacks are in the NFL. It's not even that poisonous. So go ahead and either hand the ball off, which is not an efficient play, or try to throw against coverage that is not particularly all that compromised anymore. And when you look at the splits here, last year the average RPO pass Average point plus 0.03 EPA per play. This year it's minus 0.09 EPA per play. So not only are teams passing less on RPOs, but they're less efficient in it. And runs from RPOs are not like this, like panacea, um, because linemen are not allowed to like push up field and get to the second level and all the stuff that make for great run plays. And so to the point about Kansas City was a really interesting point because you know these dynamics, the Chiefs are not immune to them, they just get out ahead of them. So those three numbers that I talked right. about before, 36%, 33%, 26% of RPOs that become passes, the Chiefs went 31, 28, 26. They stopped passing out of RPOs years ago, right? And actually stopped running them quite as much because they were starting to see that this was sort of not an elixir to what defenses are trying to do now in the NFL. 
because in, in many ways you're playing off the defense's aggression and defenses simply aren't aggressive anymore. That's fascinating. It reminds me a little bit, I'm sure this is a terrible analogy and you'll just smile and nod because you're a nice guy, but it reminds me years ago, I kind of accidentally covering a baseball game and Mark Deshera was, uh, they were, I believe they were playing him in, I, I believe they were playing the shift on him, some sort of thing um, where where he could have gotten an easy base hit. I'm not sure what they were doing, um, but there wasn't peak shift at that point. But I remember being in the uh, in the scrum there, and they said, "Well, hey, you know, when you when you can just lay down a bunt and get a base hit, like why don't you just do that?" Like we're just asking philosophically, and he's like, "I just have a philosophical problem of doing what they want me to do. Like what they're trying to avoid is the three run homer, and so I'm going to try the three run homer. And it's like with, it, with giving up the RPO um, is you know either throwing the base, the backside or having a run that is generally more inefficient." Like it's the, all the defenses are playing so that you don't try the deep pass or you don't try the efficient down the field throw. And I, I feel like offenses, too many offenses are playing into the defense's hands by their, their just general play. Well, that, that's something that, and I, and that's something that persists across football. If you even want to look, and I know this isn't germane, although it is because field position matters more now that quarterbacks aren't as good, but the whole thing about the fair catching the kickoff, it's like, if you fair catch every kickoff, you get the ball at the 25 at a minimum. But a lot of these teams are like, well, I, it's sort of cheating to do that, right? It's sort of, in a lot of ways with like fourth down decisions, it was sort of cheating to, if you needed four downs to get the 10 yards, you weren't that good of an offense. Like there's always this, and it's always broken, right? Social norms are broken. The The first person that breaks a social norm has an edge, and the first team that breaks a social norm has an edge and so forth. But like, it's still a pretty, like the NFL is still a, a close-knit community where things sort of move and 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 ebb and flow together. And I think part of, like, the whole thing – I mean, you've seen it with Patrick Mahomes, right? In the Jets game, like, a few of those interceptions just looked like he was bored. And he was this like, I'm going yeah. to throw one downfield and see what happens. Even the best players are kind of like, oh, winning this way just feels cheap. It feels stupid. Yeah. It feels it feels not like football. And obviously, the the defenses that are that are preying on these on these per- perceptions, they, they're having an edge right now. Uh, what is the next stat I need to know? Well, that I mean, those ones those ones were the big ones. The other one is, again, when you look at the way in which defenses are acting, offenses about three or four years ago, the twenty eighteen, the twenty twenty, you saw the spamming mm-hmm. of movement, right, motion, yes, play action, all this kind of stuff, and they were just like, look, we don't necessarily know what the mechanism is. Uh, a colleague and I wrote a paper about linebacker movement, and it's pretty definitive about like when they vacate the middle of the field. There's the it, it's vastly valuable. But when they were doing it, they just knew that the data was moving up when they did stuff like this, so they just started spamming it. Defenses have now started; they have the highest stunt rate in the NFL this year, 13.8 percent. Um, again, when you look at the rate at which you show a different coverage than you play. So again, it's like defensive motion. Again, that's the highest that we've seen it in, in the NFL uh, since we, you know, since folks have been charting that kind of stuff. So defenses are mimicking the offenses in terms of in terms of spamming movement pre-snap and movement even post-snap. Uh, and that's that's been something that's been unmistakable in the NFL this year. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised it took them this long, frankly, because there were so many different ways. Like I I, I believe it was Matt Patricia like he solved solved i'm putting it in quotation marks he didn't solve anything but like remember the mcveigh offense got in a little bit of a rut there for a little bit partially because they were some of it was the just the structure of the 6-1 defense but also they just decided to stop reacting to motion and it's funny because tj ward was on the show a couple weeks ago and he was like i would just ignore it and play zone like we're talking about the dolphins right it's like just play play zone ignore it just see what happens now obviously you get a numbers mismatch on one side of the field and that becomes a bit harrowing but like i actually do believe that overreacting to motion can can be a problem but i think it's probably not a coincidence that the defenses that are having the most success are the defenses that um, just are completely disconnected pre-snap and post-snap and, and do not um, because it's not like, you know, it's really easy to get, like I'm Aaron Rodgers talking about the West coast offense where you spread them out and let these guys declare when you're having motion and you're, you're, you're in bunch formations are tight. You don't have to get these defenses um, spread out and get them declaring. So the defense can do exotic things. Um, and so, 
I guess, I guess this is a long way of saying like, I, I do think defenses will eventually completely catch up to all of these things that the, the teams like the Dolphins are doing, et cetera, et cetera. But the advantage that they have is they have really good players. And this is something I've joked about a bunch where it's like, guess what happens when the McDaniel scheme gets caught up to? They've still got the six fastest guys in the NFL. So like, I think they're going to be fine. Well, that, that was always like the issue of like, why, why Gus Bradley couldn't have the same success where he went uh, after Seattle. Why, you know, even Dan Quinn. Now, Dan Quinn, interestingly, right, when you look at the data, when Dan Quinn was in Atlanta, it was very vanilla cover three, not a ton of all the stuff we're talking about. And now when you look at Dallas, you're talking about high stunt rates. You're talking about high, uh, you know, uh, what I call defensive motion rates and things like that. It's really interesting. And um, it, it is creating this interesting dichotomy where when you look at linebacker movement using the tracking data, the great guys, the linebackers don't move at all. And it's like, you know, they don't move on play action. They don't move on RPOs. They don't move on anything because they're so afraid of, you know, Patrick Mahomes on a blitz and, and yeah. Josh Allen on a blitz. And yet the problem is, is in the NFL, the set of quarterbacks for which that is true has declined, as we talked about, a num- you know, by, you know, drastically. And so like, if you're just going to say, okay, I'm going to spam the, I'm going to spam the, the, the whole league with motion defensively, it's going to work in nine out of every ten games. And in the games like the game against Mahomes or Allen, these these offenses are mistake prone enough now where you could still probably limit the number of possessions playing deep and and you know doing the stunty kind of stuff near the line of scrimmage and still probably be plus EV on defense. I feel sufficiently dorky. How about you, Eric? Yeah, this has been fun. I just love nerding out about football, and, and obviously uh, you're you're fun to talk to about it. So, Nerd Fridays? I think we're going to call this Nerd Fridays. We're getting it going. Okay. You, me, Derek. There it is with the first edition of Nerd Fridays. All right, man. Uh, check out his work at Sumer Sports. Check out him. his Twitter. Are you just at Eric Eager? Under, I put the underscore. There's actually like a, a Texas congressman who has the same name as me. What? It's insane. Yeah. Like, who? Yeah. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. All right. Thanks, buddy. Hey, take care.